Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. It is so, so good to have you here today. What a great day and what a great worship time we've had together. So get your Bibles out. You've already got your apps out. You can get the notes. They're in the bulletin there. We're in a series that's called Uncommon Sense. While you're doing that, just a couple of things I do want to mention to you very, very quickly. Uh, over here, we see Rick and Neil. Both of you have purple shirts on. Stand up for everybody to see. Colin had one on. Yeah. Uh, they just didn't go and find a special deal together at the same store and said, hey, let's buy one of each of the same kind of shirts. Their purple shirts represent all of our Brampton campus launch team, and you're going to see them on the stage. You're going to see them at the doors in our ministry areas. We are working shoulder to shoulder through July and August, getting ready for our Brampton launch in September, and we just want you to know who they are. And more importantly, we want you to be a part. How many would love to be a part of a campus launch? You're signed up. Okay, one, two. Anybody else? Who can yell louder than that? Oh, got really quiet in the room. Anyhow, we're going to... All the main doors today, if you're uh, here in this main campus with us, stop at the main doors. We're going to have teams out there. They'll tell you how you can get involved, how you can pray for us, support us. It's what we do together to help people find their way back to God, and we're so excited about it. Those of you watching online today, thank you for your support, your prayers, your giving, your helping us reach more people so that they can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What a great thing for us to be able to do. One last thing. Some of you have been asking me, hey, what's taking place within the children's ministries, particularly here at this campus, because we had our our pastor resigned from the role, and we were looking, and we've been interviewing for a replacement. And I'm so happy to announce to you today that we have found someone after doing our interviews. And here's a picture on the screen. This is James and Sonia Williams. Yeah. Now, who are you applauding for, James or Sonia? I just want James. All right. It's Sonia who's actually accepted the role. James reluctantly is being dragged into children's ministries. You don't want him with your kids. Trust me. James, are you in the room? I'm in big trouble if he's in the back somewhere talking right now. But anyhow, we are really super excited about this. And Sonia has been an integral part of our children's ministry. She's been working on our staff, and she's now taking over the leadership role. It's, it's going to be terrific. And if you're serving in that area of ministry, you've got a fantastic leader. So find her today, say thank you to her, and find out how you can continue to support her. Ready to go? All right, let's jump right in. Get your Bibles out. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 1, and we're in a series, as I mentioned, it's called Uncommon Sense. And we talk about common sense, but we all know it's not as common as it used to be. That's why we've titled it this way. And there are some very practical tips that Solomon shares in the book of Proverbs, primarily when you understand it this way, that his, his son is about to chart his own course into the world, and as he ventures out, a father wants to give counsel and advice to a boy. And so Proverbs, when you read it with this understanding that he's given all of these warnings and cautions and principles to help his children make their best path in life possible, we're looking at some of the principles, and today's going to be a rather interesting one. So let's go over there. We're going to go to Proverbs 1 while you're turning there. Great story. There was a guy in Southern California, saved up his money, finally bought himself a BMW. How many of you love BMWs? 
Oh, all right, we have a couple of woos and a couple of hands. Bought himself a beautiful BMW, washed it, took good care of it. Got in his car one morning, he was driving on his way to work. It is Southern California, the big earthquake hit, a big crevice opens up, the car plummets in, it's a horrific accident. He manages to scramble to the top, he's seriously injured, but he's standing looking over the edge into the crevice, and the bystanders can hear him sobbing, and he's sobbing, he's going, oh, my beamer, my beamer, and one of the bystanders looked at him, he said, how can you worry and complain about your car? Haven't you even noticed how seriously injured you are? You've lost your left arm. And he looked down in horror and he goes, my Rolex, my Rolex. (laughs) It's a rather humorous anecdote, but it illustrates something very powerful, doesn't it? That we, we have this culture of greed that we don't call out. We live with it, we embrace it, but we don't call it out for what it is. And as you look at this, we begin to understand that uh, Solomon is going to share something with his son about this culture of greed, how it's permeated our human nature, our human condition, and what we need to do to deal with it. And now maybe, just maybe, you might be thinking, well, I'm not a greedy person. How many are greedy people? Oh, we're in church. Really? All right, let's get into this. So just a few years ago, True Story Associated Press picked this up. Willie Greenwood was on his way to work, Oakland, California. I'm going to move to California. Everything seems to happen over there. Oakland, California, Willie's on his way to work. He's in rush hour, Wednesday morning rush hour traffic. As he's driving his car, he's following a Brinks armored truck, and Willie reports, he goes, unexpectedly, the the back door popped open and out fell bags of cash onto the road. And he goes, what happened next just astounded him. He said people stopped their cars and started to run out and grab the bags of cash. People were coming off the streets. He said, one man jumped off of my bumper, leapt over the car into the crowd to grab a bag. He said, I saw one man hit an old woman who was trying to get a bag of cash. He was absolutely astounded at this. Brinks officials reported that the incident was in fact true, but they refused to disclose the amount that they lost to people. I'm just wondering... How many of us would have been a part of the cash grab for all if we had been there? See, we don't, yeah, I know, we don't, thank you for being honest, because everybody else is, I, me too, but I never raised my hand in church. (laughs) Because it's part of our human nature, it's part of that sin condition that says, I want to leverage and get ahead in life, and and I'll do whatever is necessary to do that, and while we maybe don't want to admit it, Willie said, I saw people do things that were absolutely shocking to me, and they were all ages and stages of life, from young people to old people, people in business suits, were all diving in to try to get just a bag of cash. Think about that. Rush hour traffic on the 401, if that happened. Well, there'd be no danger. There's nobody moving anyhow. You'd just go out and pick up the bag of cash. Well, what would you have done if you'd been there? If you were in rush hour and you saw that event take place. Now, we might think to ourselves, I I wouldn't do that. But I wonder if maybe greed is a little deeper in our hearts than we actually want to call it out. See, greed may seem innocuous, but it's quite the opposite. It's rather a very insidious vice that affects our human condition. It affects our relationships. It affects our businesses. even affects our national economy. And so it's no wonder that Solomon was so intent on warning his son as his son is preparing to move off in, chart his own course in the world. Here's what Solomon understood, that innocence and naivety are the perfect recipe for disaster. That you can prepare your kids and you can send them out, but if they walk out with their innocence and naivety, the fact is that greed will take advantage of that. How many of you are parents and you've given your kids counsel? So which question confused you? How many of you are parents? (laughs) Good. 
Have you ever given your kids counsel? Oh, there you go. This is not a hard thing. This is not like a stump the crowd question day. All right. Here's another question. How many of your kids actually listen to your counsel? Yeah, far less numbers. See, it's what we do, isn't it? If you're a parent or if you're a child. As a child, you, you do reluctantly, you don't want to admit it, but you do want your parents to give you the best counsel and advice possible. And that's what Solomon was doing with his son. He goes, my son, I want you to listen to me. I want, you to give, the, I want to give you the best counsel, the best advice, so that when you make your way out, and here's what Solomon understood, that is, his kids were going out into the world, that there would be all kinds of dangers. And here's what's fascinating to me. Think about this. We started last week in Proverbs chapter 1, and Solomon starts talking about the importance of wisdom. He says, you know, seek God and understand and get wisdom. Does it not fascinate you that the second item that he's going to talk about is greed? Of all the things he could have warned his son about and prepared his son for, he says greed is something you need to watch. It'll destroy you if you don't get it under control. So go to your Bibles. Let's have a look. It's in Proverbs 1. We're going to start at verse 8. Here's what he gave him. Here's his counsel. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood and let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us and we will share the loot. My son, don't go along with them. Don't set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil and they're swift to shed blood. How, can, how useless it is to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the very life of those who get it. So this fascinates me, that he would start off his counsel and he say, first seek God and secondly, beware of greed. And when you look at this, there's all kinds of principles and teachings in here. But today, here's what I'd like to do if you're taking notes. There are three certainties that Solomon gives to his son when it comes to this issue of greed. Now, often we just think about it in sort of one high-level thought. But Solomon said there are three absolute certainties that you can bank on. And when you understand this, it's going to give you some navigational tools for your life. And I want you to have them because whether it's affecting you or not, it's affecting your family, it's affecting your circle of friends, and it makes for a great small group discussion because you can kick it off and say, okay, who's greedy? And start with that. And then you can get into the conversation. You ready to go? Number one, here it is, certainty number one. Solomon tells us this, greed is more prevalent than we are willing to admit. We all know this. And we know that it's not about economic status. You can be just filthy rich, you can be dirt poor, and you can still be greedy. Would you not agree with me? Yeah. It's true. Greed is a desire to gain more and to keep more than we need. In fact, this is why Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, he said, My child, and look what he calls him. He says, If sinners entice you, just, just turn your back on them. If someone wants you to get into the pathway that's consumed with greed, then turn and run the other way. Don't go down that pathway. It's interesting when you ask the question, what would you be willing to do? And you set the sum of money. And are you willing to act upon that? So there's a survey that was done. It was done in the U.S., and so this is a number of years ago, and they pulled a number of individuals. And so, in particular, they wanted to know, if we gave you $10 million, what you, would you be willing to do? Poor Americans, we always pick on them because, you know, they'll do anything for money, right? 
And if you're American, I'm really, really sorry about that. If you're watching online, uh, you know, I'm really, really sorry. It's just that that's where the survey happened to be due. Because in Canada, we have no money, so we're okay. We, we wouldn't do anything for money. So, but the survey, this is where it originated. It came out of the U.S. and it says, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? That's like $100 billion Canadian anyhow. So, so here's how those that were surveyed responded. It was rather fascinating to me to see what they were willing to do. Did you know that when people were asked this question, that more than 25% of them said that I'm willing to abandon my family? Now, now don't be shocked. Some of you are willing to give up your family for nothing. So... <laughs> 10 million is not a bad value, and that's a different sermon, and we'll deal with that on another day. But that offer was on the table, and they said, yeah, for 10 million, man, I, I could get a whole brand new family. I could buy my family. It doesn't matter who they are. There was about another 24% said that they would abandon their church. I was shocked at that. You would actually leave church for $10 million. Look, if you're leaving, just tithe on the 10 million, then you're good to go, all right? <laughs> We're clear. All right, that's all said. Here's the one that actually just was a little disturbing. 25% said they were willing to become prostitutes for a week for $10 million. They were willing to sell their own soul for some cash. And 16% said that they were willing to walk away from their marriage, their spouse. See, it's interesting when you begin to talk about greed and you actually make it practical and tangible because greed permeates so deep into our spirit and into our heart, we often don't talk about it. Now, I've been greedy once or twice in my life. This is going to be our AA meeting together, okay? Anybody with me? Have you ever been greedy? Hold up your hand. Seven of us in therapy together. All right. Let me confess to you what happened. There were two of us, and the objects of our affections were the same. There were two pieces of pie, (laughs) but it was cut disproportionately. So one piece was much larger than the other piece. But because I had first choice, I got to make the decision. You know which piece I chose? Which piece? The little one. You don't know me that well. (laughs) I chose the big one. Because first come, first serve is the rule of live or let live around my house. And I go, if I'm there first, I get, it's just a little illustration, but it's true of all of us, isn't it? As soon as we see something that benefits us, we immediately want to have that. And I know, you know my life first. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. And I'm still working that out in my life. You can see this. But greed is something that impacts all of us, and it affects us in deeper ways. Now, before all of you start throwing your disapproving glances at me and think that, you know, you're safe in your greed comfort zone, remember what Jesus said to all of us? Luke 12, 15, it's there in your notes. He said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, that's not just a random verse that got thrown out. You know the context of this. Jesus was teaching, and there was a young guy in the crowd, and he yelled out. He said, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Whoa. If you want to see greed rear its ugly head, go to the reading of a will. Yeah, you guys, I can tell which ones have already been there. You go to the reading of the will, and you hear people, and all of a sudden, you'll, they'll forget how grieved they are over the person who just passed away because they're willing to kill the other person for the few dollars that's invested in the inheritance on the other side. Isn't it fascinating? 
that greed has such a strong entanglement in our heart and in our spirit. That's why Jesus said, beware, there's just guard against. There are many different kinds of greeds. So what are these different prevalent kinds of greeds? Well, I, I listed them this way. There's excessive consumerism, this drive to have what others have. We're consumed with having more rather than simply enjoying what we already have. And I think we all know this truth. Whatever we own ends up owning us. And yet this consumerism thing is just a different form, and we call it greed by a different name. There's also this uh, uh, scarcity mentality. It's this whole idea that I I don't have enough, and so we end up hoarding, and we mask the words by gentle, kind words like, well, I'm frugal, or I'm prudent, or I'm cautious, when really you're just stingy, you're meager, and you don't give generously. That's just greed. And then, then there's this other area of gambling to gain. It's, well, it's not that big a deal. Seriously, Doug, just stop. It's Lotto 649. happens to be $80 million. What's the harm if I buy the ticket? Probably not a big harm. You're not going to win anyhow. But what's the intent? See, it's this whole shortcut to success that, man, if I could have all of that money. In fact, it was interesting as communicators, we were together, we were doing preparation around this message, and one of the things we looked at is the research on the people who win the lotteries and the devastated conditions of their lives within years after they have won the rewards. And many of them have lost their family and friends. They've all been alienated because they don't know how to deal with the wealth, and people are always asking for it. And then others go right into ruin because they get into a spending pattern that they can't control, and suddenly all this shortcut to success ends up destroying them. And really, the heart of that is greed, isn't it? And then you have these illegal activities that impact us. There are pyramid schemes. There are thefts. Any of you get those CRA phone calls that you're, you're, yeah, you've got a criminal thing going on? And criminal, They've got all of my phone numbers. Every time they call, they go, you know, you're going to go to court. You're going to have a case. You better call me right back. And so I just keep hanging up on them. My worry is maybe I do have a problem with my CRA account, and I hang up on them all the time. But It's just another way of somebody trying to defraud me of money. And what's the essence of that? It's the greed on their side to try to gain money. And unfortunately, so many people get conned by this. So no matter how you describe it, greed is what it is. It's expressed discontentment with our current state of reality. I want what I want, and I will do what I need to do in order to get more. And then we soften how we speak about it to other people. And Solomon's uncommon sense to his son, he said, Listen, my son, turn your back and run the other way. Don't allow greed to get its tentacles into your spirit. Certainty number two when it comes to greed, greed will rob you of your true identity. What's the harm? What's the harm? But the reality is greed will rob you of your true identity. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, tells a story, true story. A money manager who was in charge, lived in Europe. He was in charge of investing the wealth for Britain's royals family and a number of the leading families in the European community. Living in the U.S., he was investing funds for them. He found a high-return opportunity that would guarantee returns and high profits. So he took the investment portfolio of $1.4 billion, and he sat across the desk from Bernie Madoff and signed away the funds into what he thought was going to be a sure thing. He had no idea that it was a Ponzi scheme. When he discovered and he was informed that it was a Ponzi scheme and he had lost the entire $1.4 billion, he couldn't face his investors. He went back to his Madison Avenue office, he closed the door, and he took his own life. See, greed will destroy you. 
When you look for the fast track and you look for the shortcut, it's guaranteed. It may not end up taking your physical life, but what we discover from the Scriptures, it's a big deal because it takes who God created you to be, the very core of the person He intended for you. That's the danger of greed. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 19, it's in your notes. Look at this. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. Here's the phrase I want you to see. It takes away the life of those who get it. See, you can get the gain, but Solomon says, listen, son, you might get ahead, but you've actually given up. You might get a little financial gain in your life, and you might have a little bigger house or a little better car or a little stronger financial resource base. He goes, but you've lost your soul. And he goes, so you haven't gained anything in the journey. And that phrase is a sobering reminder. That's why Paul would warn the Colossian believers in Colossians 3, 5. He said, I want you to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and what's the word? Greed. Wow, right there in that list of vices, he throws the word greed because he said, it's idolatry. It's lifting things up in the place of where God is supposed to be. This is why God is so concerned about greed and He addresses it so openly. He knows that when greed is rooted into our lives, it reduces you from whom He created you to be. You were created in the image of God. You were given the divine spark of life that you could reflect His glory in this creation. And He goes, don't, don't get sucked into greed because it will strip away your identity And you don't have to chase all these things. In fact, wasn't it Jesus that said, why do you worry about all these things in life? Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Does God not take care of it all? Is your Father not able to provide for all that? He goes, why are you spending yourselves pursuing all of this? Here's what God understands. That when we become so consumed with greed, we will begin to put our value on possessions rather than on people. That we'll become consumed with gaining rather than giving. And we will trade pieces of our soul for little trinkets of silver. And God says, I don't want that for any of you because you are created with a much greater purpose in mind. So Paul would write to Timothy and he would remind Timothy, Timothy, it's the love of money that can be the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many kinds of grief. He said they didn't see the warning signs and they actually lost themselves because they went after it. And so we discover the warning that Solomon gives to his son. Be careful, because greed will rob you of your true self if you allow it to. Certainty number three that Solomon shares with his son is that greed is a condition of the heart. I think one of the greatest challenges that followers of Jesus wrestles with is our attitude towards, and and our feelings actually, and our actions when it comes towards our, our money and our possessions. It's particularly true for those of us who are believers living in prosperous cultures, and we live in a very prosperous country. Now, no matter where we fit on the scale, because there's a continuum, no matter where we are, we would all have to admit that Canada is a very blessed nation, and we are very fortunate to live where we are. But in that, we also find we probably have to pay more attention to this issue than maybe others would. Because greed is one of those things then that can speak into our lives and attract us and actually detract us from our devotion to God. For Jesus, this is a huge issue. He spoke about it over and over and over. In fact, He gives promises and warnings and directions 
and caution. He told stories about it. He told parables about it. He held private conversations about it. If you read the four Gospels collectively together, read them all, you will find that, that the dominant amount of teaching that Jesus gives comes in the area of possessions and financial activity. Why does he do that? Because Jesus knew that spirituality was practical. That if you wanted to understand what spiritual truth was all about, you had to look at the practical areas of life. And he said, let me talk to you about the biggest one that's going to affect you, and it's your financial and your wealth positions in life. So Jesus called out hypocrisy of the religious leaders. They love to flaunt their spirituality, but he said, this is just a, a cover, a mask, a guise for your carnality. Matthew 23, 25, write it down. Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. He goes, you, you can project the external all that you want. He said, but the interior portion of your heart is filled with greed. And he calls this hypocrisy. Jesus rebuked people for wanting to build bigger and better estates for the sake of their self-importance and comfort, particularly at the expense of being socially irresponsible towards those who are less fortunate. He goes, there are those around you that you can change the outcome of their life because you have been fortunate enough to have more. And he goes, you have a responsibility towards them. So he rebukes people that say, well, I just want to build bigger and better. And it's every man and every woman for themselves. And he goes, that's not how this is. So in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet to what? Forfeit their soul. Forfeit their soul. Why would you give it away? Why would you give the greatest gift that God has given you away? And so Jesus cautions against hoarding possessions. He said, you can buy and you can accumulate and you can amass, but in the middle of it all, you know you're going to perish. But if you give generously, he said, you're laying up treasures in heaven. In fact, let's go there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and they steal. He said, but store up your treasures in heaven. You know, it reminds me, a number of years ago, Laura and I, we had a break-in at our house. And they took off with a lot of our possessions, jewelry, and all kinds of stuff. And the most disturbing part of the experience wasn't the loss of the possessions for us. It was that, that sense of invasion of our own space. And that's the right feeling to have. Because all the other things that they took are replaceable. The memories, no. But all the things they took are replaceable. And yet, Jesus reminds us that if we put our affections on those things, we can become so consumed with them that they begin to control us. And he goes, hold those things lightly because they're going to disappear. But he says, start laying up your treasures in heaven. That's where the real value is. goes on to say this, where your treasure is, there is where your heart is going to be. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise it. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible. And so he says, figure this one out. Where's your heart? Because your heart is going to determine. And friends, your heart is an indicator of what greed is doing right now. Paul would write a very important piece of instruction to the Ephesians, and he addresses specifically the issue of greed. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4, 28. Just write it down. It's not in your notes. He says, if you're a thief, how many thieves are in the room? Anybody? Just wanted to check. Okay. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then watch us. He says, and give generously to others. Now, that's powerful, isn't it? He says, if you're a thief, now, we don't believe there's any in the room, but, you know, check your pockets, check your purse just in case. 
He said, stop stealing, use your hands for what? Good hard work. And then he says, so that you can give generously to others. See, now, we don't necessarily live with that motto. We work to get the money, and when I get the money, the money is whose? Mine. Yeah. The right answer is God's, but anyhow, the true answer is mine. So, I work hard for my money, and when I get my money, I don't want to give it away. So we love verses like this because there's no thieves in the room today, right? So, yes, Paul, tell those thieves, you people stop stealing, start working with your hands, and you start giving that away because that's what you're supposed to do. And so we immediately start thinking about people that are maybe masked or hooded, they're burglars or pickpockets or they're crooks. So thieves come in all kinds of varieties, right? But then we don't really think about, well, what about the white-collar thief or the insider trading? Or what about the shoplifter? Or what about the cross-border duty declaration? Let's not go there. What about, what about tax evasion and modifying your tax reports? And I don't want to pay the... Who wants to pay the government? Just going to wait. What about padding the expense reports? Or a little bit of office furniture and equipment that made its way home? What about cash transactions for purchases so that we don't have to report GST, PST, HST, all the STs that we have? Man, we have all kinds of STs, don't we? And so we do everything possible to try to avoid paying our fair share that we are legally responsible to pay. And we get into transactions. If you buy or sell a vehicle and you're buying it privately or a used vehicle from somebody, and they go, look, I won't put the sale amount down. I'll leave that up to you. And there's something inside of you in that moment that goes, I like you. (laughs) Because what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to what? Lower the sale price. Because, you know, that extra $1,000 or whatever it might be, I'm going to be wealthy at the end of it if I do that. But are you wealthy now? No. No. You're no more wealthier after you cheat than before you cheated. So that's why God is so concerned that we don't allow this to root itself in our hearts because it will destroy who we are, and He doesn't want us to live that way. So when we begin to understand the rationale of the Christian life is we don't work to have. Paul reminded us that we work to have to give so that we can actually bless others, that we can make a difference, that we can help people find their way into a relationship with God. And this is where the early church, they got it right. They actually got this one right. They rigorously applied Jesus' instruction. They lived with the awareness that their possessions were not, in fact, their possessions. They were steward of everything that God had given them. And they gave joyfully to meet other people's needs. Acts 4, 34 and 35. It says, There were no needy persons among them. For, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sale. They put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. The church thrived in the midst of challenge because everybody realized greed is not my call. Grace is the call. God's grace in my heart liberates me because greed is a condition of the heart and how we handle our money and our possessions is an accurate barometer of how we trust God and how we trust Christ. Don't miss that. How we handle our treasure, our money and our possessions is an accurate barometer of how much we trust God and we treasure Christ. 
So Solomon tells his son three powerful certainties when it comes to greed. It's more prevalent than people are going to admit. It's going to rob you of your true identity if you go down this pathway. And it's a hard issue. So son, run the other way. Don't even bank in with people that move down this pathway. Don't even entertain the conversations that are laced with soft language. It's greed when you come right down to the bottom of it. And greed will destroy you. And that's not who God created you to be. And that's not who God created us to be. Amen? Because God understands our true value and He sees the worth of every one of us. And He created us beautifully the way that we are. And all that we have to enjoy, God says, those are the added blessings and bonuses, but they should never control or consume us. So I got thinking about Solomon with all of this counsel and wisdom that he had. And we know that God deposited just an unbelievable amount of wisdom when he prayed for it. But he had experiential relationship as well. It was his father, David. And the Bible says of David that David had a heart after, and what's the word? God. David had a heart after God. Solomon was raised in a home where his father's heart was fully bent towards God and understanding God's grace. And David says these words in Psalm 119, verse 36. He says, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not towards selfish gain. See, Solomon wasn't just downloaded wisdom from God. He lived in a home where his own father demonstrated that it is better to have your heart fully devoted to your heavenly Father than it is to have it half half devoted to the things that are material. So turn my heart, Lord, fully towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. And the only antidote for greed that I can see is a high infusion of God's grace in our hearts. And may that be true for all of us. So, Father, this morning I pray, as we look at our lives and we consider all that you have blessed us with, It's not a topic we usually step into, but it's so prevalent in our society. We become consumed with greed. We become motivated to have more. We are bombarded with the advertising, the culture. It's all around us. And so it's easy to be swayed. But I pray that today that you would help us to have singular devotion. For those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, we call ourselves Christians, Christ-like ones, you did not pursue gain. You emptied yourself of the riches of heaven to come to earth for us. So help us to live as you live so that others could see that there's a better way, there's a healthier life, that we can nurture our soul and we don't have to pursue stuff. And I pray, God, that we would live that way. And then I pray for those that are in the room today or listening to me online Father, for those that don't have a relationship with you, may they realize that the greatest gift that we have been given is the gift of a new life through Jesus Christ, your grace in our heart. It will root out greed. It will root out selfish gain. And it will fill us with contentment and peace. And so I pray that we would experience that in a fresh way today. Your eyes are still closed just for the last moment here. If you're listening to my voice, you're in this room or maybe watching online and you would say, Doug, That's one decision I haven't made yet. I haven't made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. So I still feel drawn. I still feel moved by so much of what culture tempts me with. But today I realize that the greatest gift that I could have is to give my life to Jesus Christ and receive His eternal life. I would love to pray with you just before I close. 
And while everybody else is praying in the room, if that's you and you'd like me just to pray with you, would you quickly raise your hand anywhere in this room at all? And I'll just remember you in my prayer before I close. Thank you. Yes, others. Real quickly, up and down. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Lord, thank you for those that are raising their hand and just responding to you. I pray this morning that they would experience what it is to have a new relationship with Jesus Christ. That as they trust you as Lord and Savior, you've already forgiven their sins. And as they accept you in their life, Lord, I pray that you would now fill them with that peace, that contentment, that joy, and that you would transform the very way that they live. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.